And so I had to start ahead. I guess it won't. The, anyway, this is the Sunday Sangha, and Vedas uh, um, has asked a question. Um, go ahead and ask it again. So the question would be, at the end of the path, I heard you say that for an arhat, for example, everything is just working through discrimination, not through just uh, like uh, attaching to uh, certain feelings or certain motivations anymore. What would okay. that specifically mean? Well, <clears throat> as I uh, casually mentioned, it's better <clears throat> to do the discrimination in the territory that you're in rather than musing about someone else's discrimination right, and that right. in fact um ah oh, carl is joining carl. us good morning guys hello. hello hello we're just starting a discussion on the item of discrimination which is another way of talking about right noble view. This is a question about how to discriminate, when to discriminate, what criteria do we use to discriminate? And when we get really skilled at this discrimination, then it's a blast, but we still do the discrimination. Okay. And it's always about the blast. Well, uh the blast will eventually get ordinary too as you discriminate it also that that's in wow. fact uh quite well defined within this uh the suttas and uh buried right there in Patita samupada so anyway let's get back to what value we can get out of this soon rather than what we can muse about what may be possible some way off into the future if we would only stop musing about it and pay attention to what's really going on right now <laughs> that that's what in fact religion is for most people is musing about how nice it would be instead of musing about how nice it is right now and so this is the basic point then of the discrimination is can you see the beauty the benefit the value uh, and the wholesomeness in what's happening right now can you discriminate that from the stuff that's not particularly useful not particularly valuable not particularly wholesome and not particularly wow In other words, ordinary life. We live a life of ordinariness, and there's a kind of a joke about it that is based upon uh, Henry David Thoreau's uh, statement uh, that everyone leads a life of quiet desperation. Mm, I heard that one. Okay, except that all you have to do is add some money to it, and then the desperation <laughs> becomes noisy. <laughs> <laughs> and if you add yeah. enough money to it, it becomes politics. Yeah. 
So knowing that we're living a life of quiet desperation, the reason that we're doing that is because we're not doing discrimination properly. We're sort of letting the worst elements in to the house. Um, uh, a silly uh, example of that is um, the bouncer at a bar. And he's at the, when the bar opens and the crowd is forming, he's going to stand there and check you out to see whether he knows you or whether he's going to let you in the bar or not, depending upon how you're dressed and first impressions and all of that. And some people get let in and some people don't. And the more skill that bartender is, the more people he don't let in. And the less trouble he has inside. Because he is in the beginning going to let stuff in. And when he does when he does let the wrong things in, things happen inside the bar. And now he's got to really do his job of being a bouncer and bounce that jar, that tar right back out the door. Who is the bar owner in this simile? Um, the answer to that is irrelevant. Okay. Or the answer to that is you're the bar owner. Or the answer to that is God is the bar owner. I mean, I've got a whole pack of <laughs> You want some more answers? <laughs> the government probably, or maybe the bank. <laughs> But... Um, in any case, that's a kind of an irrelevant question. Yeah, okay. But the point is, is that if you are discriminating about what kind of thoughts you allow into your mind, then the less trouble you're going to have. And the quicker you can identify the trouble that you've already let into your mind and bounce it right out, yeah. the smoother the operation is going to run. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. That in fact, every bar scene that's in every movie that I've ever seen, and I've seen quite a lot of them, is almost always a brawl or a bust or somebody gets shot or something like that. I mean, bars are famous for that, at least in the movies. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, we use that analogy. Because if the barkeep or the bouncer would keep that stuff out of the bar, then movie people makers or movie maker people would have to go someplace else because the bars don't have that kind of violence anymore. We've got bouncers doing the job. That's yeah, high tech times. Okay, so this is the whole point about the job of the bouncer is the one who is doing the discrimination. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so we need to bounce our own duty quite often. In fact, anytime that anybody comes into the bar, you want the bar bouncer to wake up and check them out before he's going to allow them into the bar or not. As quick as possible and without uh, without any extra turbulence, let's say. Precisely so mm -hmm. that in fact, if the yeah. bouncer is so awake that he's standing not just at the door, but outside the door, then then the the guy doesn't even get in. Yes. That would be where the discrimination of the Arahat would be, is he's actually on guard outside the door. 
and he's very good at it. And he's not going to let any of that kind of stuff in. All right, but we got to train first. We got to train to wake up and get close to the door. And we got to train to wake up to find out what a, an orderly bar scene actually looks like. Because all the bar scenes that I know come from movies. <laughs> really? I'm just joking with you. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> but the answer to that actually technically is yes. <laughs> so anyway. This is an example of, of Anapanasati <clears throat> that I've been actually dancing around, and that is, is that the bouncer's got to be on duty, which is sati. The bouncer has to develop the skill of figuring out who's worth letting in the bar and who's not, and that's one's right noble vision or, or uh, uh, seeing or noticing or investigating those kind of English language terms. In the Pali is the word ditti. And it means really look, look at what's going on to inspect, to do it with this discrimination and to do it wisely. And so the skill of this particular um, item on our list, uh, the skill that's being actually developed is the skill of wisdom through observation. And so um, the beginner is going to let a whole lot of stuff into his um, uh, uh, bar, only to have to start throwing stuff back out again. But as we get skilled at it, we let less and less stuff into the bar. We stop it at the door. Okay, then in fact, we have to get pretty good at stopping it at the door in order to maintain first channel. Because letting somebody into the door, uh, into the mind when we're not watching is a typical example of mindfulness not being there and the old habits come back in. That's mm -hmm. going to happen mm -hmm. and it's going to continue to happen if you're very, very lucky than 400 times in a row. That's okay. uh, why uh, it seems so solid in the beginning. That's why it seems like it's not sequential. It's just it's analog. It's just this one wave of of this is it's a wall in principle. But it's 400 times. So right. you and have to be very over quick. And over. Yeah, well, <clears throat> the thing of it is, though, is there is a method of squeezing some space around it. Mm -hmm. And we do that in the beginning because, in fact, the way that almost all ordinary beginners begin their job as being a bouncer in their own bar is is that the bar whole bar needs to be cleaned out that you've got a war going on in every corner at every table <laughs> yes and so it feels like a wall but the bouncer no he only has to remove one wholesome character at a time it's just going to take a while and while you're taking care of one guy, the old guy that you did throw out already is going to try to sneak right back in again. This is where the skill comes in, because the skill of the bouncer then, this is the right effort, is the bouncing. 
You gotta keep doing the bouncing. Once you see with the discrimination what you need to throw out, you have to then take the effort to do that. That's why the Buddha put right effort, right noble effort on this path or this group of items that we've right got. Noble to effort, effort. Right, right noble effort is to keep effort, keep it up, keep going, keep at it. Yeah. yeah, that stuff's going to come back and you're going to be the warrior that throws it right back out. Without adding extra tension. Ah, but the tension is letting it in. And so getting rid of the tension is throwing it out. And yes, you can have a whole lot of tension when you recognize that it's in there. It's very typical. Hello, Robert. Your head is sideways. Now you're correct. <laughs> Hi, guys. We today are talking about right view, discrimination, and we're using the example of a bar with a bouncer. And the bouncer's job is, is to discriminate of who he's going to let into the bar or not. And as he develops his skill at being a barkeep, he uh, will spot problems before they actually arise let us say at the door right that in fact if you can stand at the door and stay on guard and take the effort to keep watching that's how we learn to maintain the first jhana but getting into the first jhana is a bit difficult for most students what we had just started talking about robert is is that most students of meditation start up just like a brand new bouncer without any experience is hired at a bar that's got problems at every table and in every corner and every nook and there is one fall after another. But take heart because the bouncer only has to learn to pick up one bad customer at a time and throw him out. Then in fact, why don't we find a weak one and make an example of it. <laughs> start with the easy parts and start working up through the hard stuff. But basically, this is the way of looking at it. Now, the, all these characters in the bar is what the Buddha would refer to as the narva or the hindrances. And he classifies them as, into five classes the way that you would cut a pie. But the pie is not necessarily starting with and ending up with the five pieces. It was always a pie. They're interconnected. That not only is it a whole room full or a crowd that you've got to deal with one item at a time. These guys are related. <laughs> and they're going to help each other out. And so the, the, the uh, I'm painting now a picture of uh, quiet desperation that the bar keep <laughs> or the uh, <laughs> or the um, the bouncer, the new bouncer, feels like he's desperate because he's actually looking at what's going on and what a mess it is, and he kind of feels overwhelmed. This is a typical story. Robert, you've told me about the story uh, before. Uh, yeah. 
This is a very typical story we're telling, and I, and I think it's really funny that it fits so well with the bar. But you could take a manufacturing or good art or uh, learning to be an art dealer, even learning to become a good real estate agent by knowing how to weed out both the bad customers and the bad sellers or the bad properties and, and specialize in something that's, uh, uh, that you're good at. Okay, so uh, back to the bar. <laughs> the barkeep uh, is making progress, but every time he's capable of throwing just one thought out, he needs to turn around and do a dance, a championship dance for the rest of the crowd in there. This is part of the show. This is what gladdening the mind is all about. That in fact, it's the first thing we do <clears throat> is that we throw out that unwholesome thought and the victory dance we do in the next mind moment is gladdening the mind. <clears throat> Hey, I don't have to think about that is one of them. Oh, wow. Isn't it great? I don't have anything to do right now. I, mm -hmm. I can take rest right now. Nowhere to go and nothing to do right now. Everything is okay right now. I don't have to fix anything right now. I don't even have to become enlightened right now. Mm -hmm. I can just sit here mm -hmm. and enjoy myself right now. Okay. Now, the question is, can you be in that state of everything is really great right now while you're still standing at the barroom door to make sure that nothing unwholesome is going to pop in? Because the whole crowd that you've just chased out is standing right there in the street looking for a way to get back in. That's the big contradiction for the Western mind. Doing something that supposedly has to be very, very hard work. Mm -hmm. uh, combining with completely at being at ease and <laughs> uh, yeah 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 so this is the guarding point this is the standing guard which is also referred to uh in the suttas as being able to sustain the mind to keep the mind in that wholesome state means that you're not going to allow any of those unwholesome thoughts back in this is now again everything is based upon discernment discernment from the beginning to remember that i can look that i can judge that i can figure out what's worth thinking about and what's not worth thinking about that we actually um because of the kind of thoughts we think don't have very high opinions of ourselves we give ourselves trash we give ourselves uh, disappointments. We make life too hard. We set standards way too high. We don't set standards that we can meet and then dance and enjoy over meeting our standards. We want to raise the bar up until the point where we can't reach it anymore. And now we feel bad for the rest of our life because we'll never jump that high. We've already reached whatever limit our, uh, we are. That in fact, in the 1960s, there was a book about this that made the bestseller list. The name of the book was The Peter Principle. And what he was yeah. talking about in this book is, is that people who are competent in their jobs will get promoted 
that if he's competent in that job, he will get promoted. And, and he's stuck. Is promoted until, until he gets yeah. into a job that he is incompetent at, where the job is too much for him. And that's where he is stuck in his career for the rest of his life. Welcome to world government. Uh-huh. Stuck in a job that he can't do, that he qualified for, because he was successful in doing something that he could do. And how many examples can we have of that? One example is the plumber who's a really good plumber. He's such a good plumber. Everybody wants him plumbing, and so he has to hire an assistant. Now he's got to be a trainer. But that's still not enough. He needs two, so he's got to train two, and now he's a boss. Guess what? He's not a plumber anymore. He's a boss. He's had to go through a major life change, and he didn't even know it. He was sucked into it, and now he's reached his level of incompetency, and he's angry at the people he hired, and they don't do a good enough job, and blah, blah. You've heard all of this before. We do this with uh, with a, a licensed system in Germany, like it's it's <laughs> like ingrained in in the whole uh, educational system so oh yeah <clears throat> and if you don't so, do it off you go mm -hmm. exactly so if you can see that that's built right into the system then we can also appreciate that hey each one of us bought into that system we bought into it at a very very deep level and we live our lives moment by moment still in that system This is what the Buddha is talking about of the Sila Bhatta Paramasa. It's the set of rules that we have made for ourselves that often have rules in them or standards set that we can't meet. We're not up to our own scratch. And so what we need to do now is recognize with discernment Because now what we're talking about, surprisingly enough, is some of the people who are in that bar that we have let in, and now they run the place. The rule makers, the bosses, the mayor, the borrowers, the, <laughs> the hindrances precisely in this form of uh, rights, rules, rituals, way things are supposed to be that brings about fear, anxiety, rebellion, guilt, remorse. All of those feelings are based upon one up, one down positions that we're in, normally the one down position. When you're one down, how are you going to react? Eventually with revenge, but before revenge, in fact, the revenge may be very, very quick if you have an opportunity. <laughs> but, um, We have, uh, if we do what we're told to do, if we roll over and, and go along, we resent it. If we resent it, then we will feel like rebelling. And then when we do have even thoughts of rebelling, we'll say, wait a minute, wimp, wimp. <laughs> Now we feel guilty. We didn't actually rebel, or maybe we did a little bit. But now we feel guilty about it. And all of this is playing on instincts. And the instinct has to do with the um, the territorial instinct and mm -hmm. the nesting mm -hmm. instinct of going along to get along. 
that if you're going to stay in the nest, you got to do what you're told to do. Mm -hmm. Like it or lump it. And guess what? The whole system is set up so that everybody lumps it. Why can't we have a system that's set up to where everybody has to do what they're told to do and everybody likes it? The ideal for that would be socialism. No one's have been able to ever uh, in, uh, implement it because somebody along the line becomes selfish. And selfish means I want more than I want you to have. I want more. Mm -hmm. I want enough mm -hmm. to survive. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is another occupant of the bar is selfishness. So we have rights, rules, with, um, and um, uh, boundaries. Uh, race, all of that stuff about racism and who's better than another, and uh, all of that comes out of the territorial instinct. We do that stuff instinctually. The question is, can you wake up, Mr. Bartzer, and throw those instincts back into their place and say, I'll let you operate <clears throat> when it's appropriate for you to operate, not letting you run wild? And distinguishing between, uh, let's say, and conditioning to be a good human being and uh, like despising racism, for example. Well, instead of despising racism, you can laugh every time you see yourself get caught up in it. Ding, ding. That's the way to operate. Every time that you personally get caught up in it, you can see it for yourself and aha i see that and do not let that racism in your bar okay <laughs> not worrying about what's happening in other bars let, let 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 their bouncers take care of their characters here at yeah. our bar we're going to uh exactly. recognize it's about involvement all this mm -hmm. conditioning is always about taking sides, involvement, parties. So we have to say this thought. We have to discriminate this thought. We have to recognize this thought. Is it racism or is it not? So we begin to get on guard in another kind of way, kind of all the time. But a lot of it has to do with guarding, which is another word for a secret. And that is to be here now, to be present, to be open to what's happening in this moment, inside and outside. And so the guard goes on rounds. He goes through the rounds of the Satipatthana. He goes the rounds of the uh, the senses. In other words, what am I seeing? What am I hearing? How do I, what touches? What do I feel inside? What's the body doing? What's the mind doing? Or what state of mind? What tiredness? Any of that kind of stuff. So we kind of go around taking an inventory. And that would be something that we would do. In fact, what we're actually talking about is the first, first off the first jhana, and second off, what do you do when you're in the first jhana? 
what is it that there is worth doing if you've got the mind fit for work? What kind of work are we going to do? Exactly. The answer to that is, is that we're going to pay attention. We got into the first jhana by paying attention. We're going to maintain that first jhana by maintaining the attributes of the first jhana, which means we have to keep continuously checking on it. How's my pity? How's my sukha? How's my hindrances? How's my breathing? How's my feeling? How's uh, the the environment treating me right now? How do I feel overall? And wow, isn't it great? And so we now we, we that's the rounds with maybe becoming also the crown tire, uh, the town crier of it's whatever o'clock and all is well. There's not a thing happening. We brought things to rest. We've cleaned the bar out. And there's nothing left in it but happy campers. (laughs) That's the way of looking at it. So when we get ourselves in that state, we still have to be on guard because we still got a whole flock of characters out there on the street hoping to get in when you're not looking. That's so getting closer to the mind. So getting closer to the door, eventually getting in front of the door would be a natural process then if I if I'm able just automatically to remember, 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 remember. That's why it's such a valuable training, and that's why it has such star spangled mm. position in Buddhism. If there is a star of the show, it is Sati. Why is that? We have the Maha Satipatthana Sutta. We have the Satipatthana Sutta. We have uh, Anapana Sati. We have Right Noble Sati. Okay, it is everywhere. It is even the primary character of the seven factors of enlightenment is unremitting mindfulness. You've got to stand at the door. That's the that's it. You got to stand here now. You got to be ready and present for whatever happens. And how we get to that state is by practicing it. When we remember to practice it, that this is not an impossible situation. What's impossible is because we think that the bar is empty when it's not. That there's still stuff in there. But what we develop is a new skill. The skill number four on the Eightfold Noble Path. That skill number four is Sama Sankapa. And what that means is the right to noble attitude. And so the bouncer now develops the attitude of, hey, man, I can handle this. It don't matter who's in this bar left. I can throw him out, too. I with, got with the double, double M, right? Summer, summer, double M, uh-huh. M, M, summer. Okay, right. <laughs> Sama sand, copper. Mm. Aryan, Sama sand, copper. Oh, hello, mm. Hello, it's been too long. So, we have just introduced Sama sand, copper. Uh, Drew, using the analogy of a, uh, a bouncer at a bar. And we have brought him through being newly employed with a bar full of uh, characters. 
to choosing which character needs to go out first and throwing him out first until we now got the bar almost clean. And as we're cleaning out the bar, th there is something happens to the bouncer. And that is, is that he actually sees himself as being successful at about as a bouncer. Right attitude. Right attitude. He can do this. He can take care of this situation. There is nothing that he can handle. Whatever he finds in his bar, he can handle it. He's the boss here. And he's got that arrogant attitude. <laughs> but that's one of the things about uh, Buddhists is they're all lions and they've all got that lion attitude of I can handle anything. The funny thing about it is, is when you get two of them together, they recognize that attitude <coughs> and they love it. <laughs> I'm really glad to see I've got a winner on my hands here <laughs> instead of somebody who's trying to take me down so they can feel like a winner. <laughs> yeah. So this whole thing of Sama Sankapa, these are the four items. The Buddha says they run and circle around each other in a way of building each other up, that they strengthen one another. So with the right attitude, things that used to be really hard and oh no, another one I've got to get out becomes that attitude of this is easy. I can get this thing. I can take care of this. So attitude is really an important point, but it's not often mentioned within Buddhism because most people in the West, they don't really understand what the Eightfold Noble Path is all about. And so it's, it's, an, it's a list of eight items that you kind of learn as a password to get in the door or, or an exam you take or something <laughs> like that. And as soon as you can pass the great Buddhism and you know the Four Noble Truths, the Eight Four Noble Path. Now let's get and into in the order. real stuff. And in order. And in now, order. Mm -hmm. Now <laughs> we can get into the real stuff. And the reality is, is that this is the real stuff. This is the actual practice itself that in fact Anapanasati is the Buddha's um, example of how to practice this fourfold method of remembering sati to wake up and to look at what's going on and to make that discernment is this thought right is this worth having and then take the effort to gladden the mind increase that the value of these thoughts in the moment bring yourself back into the present moment being here now and being able to do that over and over again builds the confidence sushada that we can, in fact, be a king, a champion, a lion for our own life. That we do live in heaven. We do live in paradise. Mm. It was a paradise all along if I would only have recognized it. That I'm in my own Garden of Eden here. Pure land is right here, not after death. Exactly. This is the pure land. You're in it, guys. Mm -hmm. This is mm -hmm. it. And that's the attitude we have. Microphone is noisy, Marcus. Hi there. <laughs> Hi. Oh, Marcus. it is some um, audio problems. I'll be with you in a second. All right. <laughs> so 
When we have these four items in process, their skills still in the development. This is how we begin to develop what is actually referred to as samadhi that is wrongly understood to be concentration because mm -hmm. samadhi means the organization of the mind. Going back to the example of the bar, that when we have stopped all of the fights, the bar is unified, it's at peace, it's at whole, it's at one moment, it's in tune. The piano player hasn't had to stop playing the piano and bang on the keys and very loud to get everybody's attention anymore. Everything is cool. All right. But we still have to keep that eye on the door. Yeah, the emphasis is always on the goal, not on the method. That's the problem. Ah, you're right. To where we don't really have a goal. What we have is how to get the mind cleaned out right now and enjoy the heck out of it yeah i mean they do call it god you know if you don't <laughs> recognize what you've got on your hands or in your hands or all over your body <laughs> this is yeah. paradise this yeah. is the best there is you couldn't expect anything better than this but we still expect stuff better than this robert i see golden you're in a golden cloud yeah so when do we stop using positive self-talk to gladden the mind? When do we stop? When do you stop judging your thoughts? The answer I would say is, is that only when you have a guaranteed strength of one wholesome thought after another, after another, for a long period of time. And then what do you do? The answer to that is, well, let's put some gaps in them and see what's between the thoughts. And what is between the thoughts is how good we actually talked ourselves into feeling. And so now we begin to really pay attention to how good we feel. This is the second charter. So we do want to talk ourselves into feeling quite spectacular, like really, really up there. Well, why don't you already feel spectacular and way up there? I mean, how did you come out of that? You were that way when you were two or at least a year and a half. You really enjoyed life. I mean, everybody loves to be around a young toddler. I mean, we like to play with them. We like to put them with young baby animals. It's okay. still loud. It's still allowed to be real, to be happy, to be playful. And you have lost that skill. And the part of Anapanasati is rebuilding the skills that we were naturally born with. Mm. To be a kid again, to be a puppy again, to be in a very, very safe place, to be in a paradise. Where everything is okay and nothing's a problem and nothing is demanded of you, you have already gotten in. <laughs> uh, 
And so this is the attitude that needs to be developed. That's the attitude. But we still, even momentarily, we have that attitude. We have to stand guard. But we do that now with the attitude of <laughs> come and get me. <laughs> With a big chuckle, too. Like, wow, I feel so so free from all of that stuff. That's when this this phase ends. With uh, the grown-ups around the little child not being allowed to let them slip any, any mistakes and things like that. And behaviors. Mm -hmm. And then everything starts to get tense. And then you just really live up to those expectations one day if you're not very very resilient um better to um in fact one of the things that helps us from being resilient is by moving around a lot when we're kids that was one of the things that I, now that i look back upon it in my old age i recognize it now was a benefit But when I was a kid, I did not see it as a benefit. But from the time I was in the first grade to the time that I graduated in high school, 12 years, I was in seven different schools. Mm. Never mind, try again. <laughs> <laughs> Your mic is really noisy again. <laughs> I think Marcus said, never mind, try again. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, that's the whole point was, is that I never felt at home. I never felt secure until I got mm. to watch someone mo. Something clicked with Achan Po and I felt finally at home. Yeah, I, I tuned in to watch someone mo, I guess would be the way to talk about it. That I was already OK. Yeah, it's. So I um, ended up going to like six schools before the age of 12. Um, oh, <laughs> so your brother of mine. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I relate that I'm not feeling like um, and also like there's the cultural aspect of being uh, someone who was born in India with Indian parents and then growing up in a different country, all that sort of stuff, which, you know, comes with its own. You uh, do not know the distinctions between Oklahoma and rural South Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> One of the places is cowboy country with Indians, and the other place has the N-word. And it goes really downhill from there, but they wind up killing people and hanging them under the bridge in both places. That's true. Yeah. Anyway, um, I can appreciate. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it was, yeah, I think, um, I mean, there wasn't a particular moment where, <laughs> Uh, but it was being exposed to monasteries and going to um, just learning about this sort of stuff and then obviously chatting with Tamarato a bit um, like at some point last year and I don't know exactly when but things started to be okay <laughs> and it's not like things are okay all the time but like I now are really like it's so familiar that like the attitude is there it's like no if things aren't okay right I can make them okay, and I can make them okay pretty quick. <laughs> Excellent. And not only that, but there will come moments or thoughts of, wow, feeling okay much of the time is really great stuff. It really is. 
<laughs> it really is just absolutely mind blowing how good it is when you just let it be. <laughs> yeah, it's just so much easier. It's just like why have like when like could I have been doing this earlier? It's like it doesn't even matter. It, it's it's all good now. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. In fact, there's a lot of jokes about that, and one of my favorites is. Um, it's actually complicated because it's got a second telling. And that is, is that there is um, uh, an advertisement on television many, many years ago. It was called V8 Juice. And the V8 Juice had uh, part of their advertisements of people drinking this and people drinking that, and they're sad and they're unhappy, and this, that, and the other thing happens. And then you have another frame, maybe six out of them, and he's drinking V8. And he's all peppy and everything is really great and everything. And then he walks us by all of these sad sacks. And one of them does this. I could have had a V8. Okay. And that's how we can think about it is, why am I thinking about this stuff? You know, I could be having a V8 right now. Okay. Now, fast forward into... Um, let us call it um, uh, in in the business world. I'm in a meeting uh, in it's out of Washington, Roswell or something uh, out of Washington, D.C. at uh, it's the Richard M. Nixon building that they have for the geological services. And they've got a huge computer in there. And they've got literally hundreds and hundreds of modems. In fact, the half the basement was modems because that's all they had back then with all of the seismic data that they're taking. And so we got to see all of these charts and all the details and all of that kind of stuff. And that um, the, the point was, is that this big, huge computer that they had was an Amdahl, not an IBM mainframe. It was an Amdahl mainframe. And the name of it was a V8. <laughs> so here I am sitting in this uh, big meeting about these computers, about which one we're going to use. And I said, we could have used the V8. <laughs> That's good. So. That's the little joke about it's the wake up. It's the sati. That's the visualization of the sati is hitting a head like that and says, you know, wakey, wakey. We're in paradise, guys. <laughs> it's, it's such a pity. Ha ha joke, joke. Uh, it's such a pity that so many people are so, so hardly conditioned. I mean, was the same thing for me in the beginning the first two years i only had to do physical uh, exercises in in the dhamma to uh, even be able to to have experiences of joy i mean it's it's man oh man i'll give you a, something that you can really get a kick out of <laughs> it goes under the labels of mudras. I think that uh, uh, Marcus may know where this is going. <laughs> and that is, is that your hands are alive. There are more 
uh, neurons on the tips of your fingers than there are in your eye or on the head of whatever <laughs> that you have there. This is the king of uh, sensations and touch that in fact, many, many different people in many different pro uh, professions learn to think and see with their hand without even appreciating what they're doing and a clear but example they're not that in is it. because they're not really there with it but that's the violinist or a drummer mm -hmm. okay uh or even a jeweler another mm. one that's really a clear example is an automobile mechanic who is under the car putting those bolts into place and he cannot see the hole he cannot see the screw. He's up doing it like this, literally seeing with his fingers. That's lung, one of lung. the skills that I learned was how to see with the fingers. Well, this is something that the Buddha teaches, but I'm going to add a little extra to it. Mm -hmm. And that is, is that the Buddha teaches about being aware of the hands as they pick up something to where mostly we are aware of what we pick up. So if we pick up something like a pair of tweezers, we, we have the eye on and think about the tweezers. Rather still, what we're going to now do is realize how we're touching that object. What parts of our fingers and hands are actually doing it? We begin to play with it in the sense of being sensual. We bring the mind into sensuality, learning to all about the body that you had to learn about when you were a baby. A tender infant in a crib can't use their hands. We learn to use our hands, but we do so mindlessly. But now within the context of Anapanasati stage three of learning the body, really get in touch with your hands and begin to feel them. So this is where we come up with certain mudras. One of the mudras is this one. You've seen it before. But guess where the emphasis is? The, the space emphasis between. is between the space between the thumb and the index finger is where we place the mind and begin to feel that and begin to experience that sense of touch. But we also could put that extra ingredient in it in the sense of imagine not just imagine, experience how marvelous that is. It is truly, truly marvelous to be able to feel with that kind of sensation. Yes. And then we can do it with all of the finger tents and get 10 times that or five times that amount of sensational touch with all of the fingers are rubbing and touching just for the hands to delight in their friends. The touch, the sense of touch is magical. If there's anything heavenly, it is the sense of touch. The Tibetans are perfectly with this. They really know their know their stuff there. <clears throat> it's the teaching of the Buddha, but it's even older than the teaching of the Buddha. This is just mm -hmm. old wisdom. But in our society, we don't teach it. We're more interested in the job you can do with your hands and the fact that you've got magnificent <laughs> instrument therapy into your arms. <laughs> oh, Robert, you're golden again. I see so <laughs> um, is Drew. Drew was gold. Yes, yes, sir. 
Uh, I was just going to say when I was on the retreat, uh, um, I was just, you know, you're constantly doing the thing of marveling in your senses. And you want to do this all the time, so not just in the cushion or in the walking hall, but everywhere you are, opening doors, going for a shower, eating. So once I finished my meal and I was holding uh, a cup of tea in my hands, and I was just super relaxed, right? And I think you know where this is going, Zamorato. Mm -hmm. And I was just thinking, I was just like holding, I was just staring. And then I realized that the cup had disappeared and my hands were the only thing that was there. And then I looked there and the cup was still there. But then I looked away, I was like, I'm not so sure about this anymore. I, I, it feels like a cup, but it feels like my hands feel like a cup rather than there is a cup in my hands. Exactly. This is exactly what we're talking about. Right. Exactly. There is no cup. There is only the sensation of the cup and the sight the of cup. the cup. Yeah. yeah. But the and then sensation. we put those two together and then we add this thing. Mm -hmm. And give the cup a self. Give it a reality yeah. because we've got, uh, let us say, um, congruent information based upon across the senses yeah okay and so this is part of what we're doing with the integration by paying attention to what the body is doing and paying attention to what the mind is doing etc like that it becomes more and more integrated as a whole but it still has the quality of the marvelousness of the ingredients or the parts that make this thing up. Yeah. Being alive, guys, is so wonderful. I'm surprised you don't get a kick out of it. <laughs> I mean, it's just... I was... Um, one of the things I noticed, maybe on that note, was um, it's just such a, a, a marvel and a gift um, and so lucky in some sense that the senses line up like when I like do this and then I like, you know, like I feel something in my finger at the exact time I'm seeing my finger touch the thing and then I move it back and just when I'm speaking, I feel the sensation and I hear my voice at the same time. And when I see you speaking, I see you moving and I hear the words at the same time. Mm -hmm. And when I don't, it's really weird, right? When we see that delay on Skype, you're like, what the hell is going on? I know it's not natural, <laughs> is it? Yes. Well, um... Is Marcus. it worth talking about how hearing is is still just vibration and um, you know it's it's still a kind of touch, right? Because because of yes. the vibration, yeah. But then so is sight. It's all mm. a kind yes. of touching. Even smell is a kind mm. of touching. All right. How how do we do that? Well, the Armstrong units of the very very high frequency range of vision is a very, very narrow bandwidth that it is above the infrared and below uh, the um, ultraviolet, and it just keeps going up and up and up into things like um, uh, microwaves and uh, x-rays <coughs> and gamma rays and all of that kind of stuff. And then it gets also slower but there are still those vibrations even down to say 20 cycles a second that in fact an engine that's rumbling in idle has a certain sound to it 
there's a certain frequency that that motor has, even if it's running at 600 RPM, that's not 600 RPM, that's 10 cycles a second, a very, very low frequency, and a lot of people can't hear it, and it just sounds like noise to them. But then you can hear it as the engine speeds up and it goes, oh, <laughs> Depends upon what kind of car you got, but um, um, the the very very high frequency squeal of the engine is um, because the engine is spinning around, making that sound. Now, what Marcus is talking about here is a good example of that is elephants, because these low frequency sounds and low frequency sounds travel better than high frequency mm. sounds. Any tuba player knows that. Tuba players hear the tubas of the other band before you can hear anything else. Then you hear the drums. <laughs> big or you hear and the most love tubas. Well, I, well, the big, see their pads, their feet are very, very big. And they plop down on a large section of land of about of a square feet, a square foot. And there with those bare feet, they can pick up all kinds of sounds. And this is one of the ways that they can re-catch up with the herd. It's because their, their herd can be 15 or 20 kilometers away. How are they going to know where the herd is? Well, the, the elephant squeal is not going to make it 20 kilometers. But the pound of uh, the feeding of the feet of the elephants walking will make that kind of distance. Okay. So what that means is, is that we also have that same capability. We're just not paying attention to it and still not using it. Hmm. That, that one of the places that I use that a lot uh, is my hobby with hard drives. <laughs> Touching. Okay. Do you know that a hard drive, when it's coming up, it has a song to sing? Mm. It has the spin up that, in fact, I don't even have to do much of anything other than just touch the drive and move it. And if the thing is uh, spinning, it will have a gyroscopic effect that I can immediately feel in my hand. I can just sort of half pick that drive up and say, no, I'm going to set it back down. <laughs> oh, yes, exactly right. It's not... Animals that love their low frequency sounds is the humans don't pay attention to them. Clocked we are up. we are lost to the sound. But and that in fact, if you are standing barefoot and listening with your feet, paying <clears throat> attention to what your feet are doing, you can hear all kinds of stuff. That was one of the things about what someone mo. They had a, a freeway go that was a quarter mile from the front gate and a good you know, two kilometers to the back alley of the temple. And the, and the guys who were doing the road construction said, what are you complaining about? You can't even hear the road noise. And the answer to that is, yeah, but it's tearing my cootie apart. <laughs> Divine, divine. <laughs> so this is the thing um, I've started to notice more is like feeling the world. So, for example, uh, my room is close to the street and obviously I can hear people walk by. But if there's like a big like a garbage truck going by, um, <laughs> when I've got both feet on the ground, I can actually feel the ground shaking as it goes by. When I'm on, um, especially the tube in London, which people love to complain about. Um, <laughs> 
Um, what I noticed was when the the train comes into the station and pulls out the station, it's still, and then there's like this roll rumble in your feet, and then it smooths out, and then it well, it goes off, and then when it comes back in, it slows down, it slows down, and then the rumble comes back, and then it stops. Down to those low frequencies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can feel them in your feet. <laughs> There's also a very, very famous one that uh, when they were working with gravity, they've gotten the machine and they uh, as they turned it on and got it working, they were quite surprised to find out their gravity machine proved itself working immediately within a couple of days. And what they were able to record was what uh, their fellow scientists pointed out that they recognized that two black holes had come close together and were spinning around and got faster and faster until they merged. And these guys picked up the sound of that. And Burn? it went from, pardon? This uh, was in uh, 2013 or something like that. This was a big in, deal in the scientific community. In, in, in Bern, Switzerland. In, in, uh, in, the, in the facility for uh, I, I'm not research. sure where they did it. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's Bern, Switzerland, research of uh, very, very small particles. Okay, but anyway, they heard it. They heard the, and it went, it went up to about 800 cycles per second when it stopped because the guys had finally collided. They stopped spinning around, and it, so it stopped at about a frequency of, of 800 cycles per second. So that's very interesting. Um, that we know that gravitational waves actually operate like any other kind of wave with various frequencies that are that are changing. So the, the part of the original point that, that I was interested in making is, is get used to the fact that your hands and other things touching of the body gives you information that you're not really paying attention to generally. And that when people are paying attention to certain kinds of odors, certain kinds of frequencies, certain kinds of things that happen, they are aware of it. And these kind of people, the way to the joke about it is they're really hard to sneak up on. They're really hard to sneak up on because they know when someone's around. That that was kind of a game that Achan Poe would play with me. <laughs> and so that was one of the things he was actually teaching was wake up to your environment. I'm here and you don't even know it. I'm standing beside you whispering in your ear and you didn't know that I walked right up to you. Wake up to your to your senses, young Jedi. Mm-hmm. Wake the up. The power is everywhere. <laughs> the power is paying attention to the power. <laughs> right. That's what it's all about is just to wake up to what's happening and do it in this body that we have forgotten about in our society almost completely. Because the body is a marvelous instrument to pick up all kinds of information. Yes. Including picking up in the the, uh, uh, direct experience that you're in an environment that cannot be considered anything other than paradise. You're already in heaven. Just feel it. 
just experience it. Here it is. It can't be any better than this. That's we actually that's actually pointing to a question I had uh, beforehand in preparation to this get together. Um, in Germany, we have maybe seven, eight months like clouds, thick, dark clouds. It's rainy, damp, it's cold. It's like it's just uh, not a good place for the for the body to be in. And uh, there is the simile that behind all those clouds is always the sun shining if it's day. Mm -hmm. So uh, is there any... Well, it's still shining even at night. It's just right, that we're right, just not yeah. turned towards yeah. it, that's all. <laughs> that's, that's right, that's right. I mean, from, from a certain standpoint, it's just, it's an idea. It's a concept. So how can I, is there, is there any other way except the one we discussed already uh, with Sati and gladdening and so on? Because the spark, the spark to, to ignite a fire is, is sometimes very, very hard without a Sangha, without uh, companions on the path. It really so is. But it really, the, really is, yeah. Guess what? Isn't it marvelous that here you have some spark? You have a sangha. <laughs> That's the, the the best part. Yes, it is true, and yeah, that yeah. it that even in a German winter, where it's raining and snowing, it's hard to start a fire. Oftentimes, the best place to get a fire is to not make it yourself but to go next door and borrow a little. Mm. And so yeah. that's kind of what we need for Sangha is, is that we can, we've yeah. always got friends who can warm us up. Keep In Germany, you know, everything is just constitutionalized and it's about, it's about money. It's about who has the certificate. And I mean, it's, it's a little tiring. Well, aren't you glad that you've got up, you've got another group of people in your neighborhood <laughs> starting uh, starting an own hello <laughs> oh, puppy a new friend huh yes you're gonna keep him keep him here okay well, we have to introduce him to Lucky and Ben Hui because there's no let them have him. <laughs> if you keep them away, if you keep him away from them, they'll want him. If you give it to them, then they don't care. Okay. All right. So you take it in and uh, uh, sit down here with Ben Hui and and Lucky and, and let them play with her. Sit here. Here are the dogs. Just sit right here. Just sit here. Here we go. Mm -hmm. You're both pretending like they don't care. <laughs> and yet they've got an eye out. <laughs> As always. Okay, so uh, we had been talking about sensuality and coming mm -hmm. into our senses. The more mind moments you spend in sensory awareness, the less mind moments you spend in conceptual thinking. 
It's hard to do them both at the same time. I don't know of anybody who who knows how to do that. <laughs> but if we're paying attention to what's happening in the moment, it's hard to get lost in space. This and we've got such a marvelous tool to play with. We've got so it's probably body. more right effort. It's more right effort. It's uh, even if it's uh, easier to get a spark. I mean, if it's not if it's not available, then I mean, never it's not mind. Available. I can take a deep breath and say, "Hey, yeah. I can do it without it. It doesn't have to be available. I can do this." And you can do it. <laughs> I think uh, Robert's had his hand up for a while. <laughs> yeah, I've um I've completely forgotten my original question. I was going to ask. Anyway, but um, I have another one, which is that uh, what what is this process supposed to look like over the course of the day? Is it sort of like we're pumping ourselves up into this state of childlike joy um, and wonderment? And then when we get tired of that, we kind of like relax for a, a few uh -huh. And let the air out of your balloon. Yeah. yeah, and then we relax. start again. Whole, you're, yeah, it's not, actually, it's very interesting. Pumping yourself up is not exactly what I would use the word for. This is, again, the way that you look at it. So it's not a matter of pumping yourself up. It's a matter of stop pumping already. Can I, can I bring something up about um, the in-breath and the out-breath here? Uh -huh. In that, um, depending on, on, I guess, what the body needs, um the the in breath is like wonderfully like energizing and the out breath you you can just let everything go like right there and it i think if you just follow the 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 nice you know long good breathing in thai i think breath is uh high jai which is like healing of the chitta healing chitta basically um, it kind of, if you keep it up with the good breathing, it's just this nice homeostasis, nice balance between energizing, but also relaxed. In, Getting rid of, out. The, of the stuff. Yeah. Out. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Robert, before you had talked about stopping um, sensual desire. And now you're using the word pumping. Do you see any similarity? Uh, yeah. Okay, it has to yeah. do with one's right effort. I'm craving so notice, uh, notice yeah. the language that you're choosing to use because that has to do with your attitude. That our attitude often chooses the words that we're going to use. And so you can be aware, that not just aware of the words that you're using, but also become aware of your attitude behind that. That you use the word pumping because you think that there's some work or some pumping that needs to be done. Then, in fact, the way you said it is after you pumped yourself up. Right. But as uh, Marcus was pointing out, the better way of doing it is after you have pumped yourself down or another way of uh, depressurizing. 
Yeah, Depressurizing or letting letting the pressure off, release the valve or open the door and let the hot air out. For me, it feels like a lot of work to make myself happy because like my default is kind of just mildly miserable. No, your default is happy. Your habit is mildly negative. <laughs> And you learned that behavior as your default, but that's not natural. It's just normal. There's a difference between the two. Your yes, natural state is happiness. Your normal state is mildly depressed. It feels very unnatural to not be to not use like brute force to make myself not be bored. Like I'm really like I feel like normally I'm very bored and it feels it feels unnatural to me to to like to stop being bored by like i guess letting go without like falling asleep like like i can like try and relax and be like okay my default happiness i'm gonna take that frame and i'm gonna try and relax into it and i just end up getting really tired and then it's like it's i can't i can't find like the balance where like the boredom and the depression actually, goes away actually i understand what you're saying and I would say that at this point, not forever, not for a long time, but for right now, when you do get drowsy from your boredom or whatever you're doing, make it OK to go ahead and go to sleep, because now you're saying that you're breaking a rule when you're actually relaxing. And perhaps when you relax for a while, you need to get some sleep. I have bet that you've been pretty restless for a long time and you need to learn to rest. And when you can re uh, can actually rest and stay fully awake, that would be an accomplishment. But the way that you're talking about it is, is that you're punishing yourself for something that you're already doing. And so you're you're actually working extra hard and the extra work you're doing is to punish yourself for failing. And so allow yourself to see everything that you're doing is successful. Even if you're bored, then let your boredom be successful boredom. And if your boredom actually puts you to sleep, then let that be a successful snooze. And when you wake up, wake up refreshed. Wow, I'm really glad I had that nap. <laughs> and start giving yourself permission to be okay without having a set of standards that you've got to meet. You okay. really are yeah. okay, Robert. You really are already. You don't need to do anything. You need, in fact, to stop needing to do stuff. And just relax. You're already in paradise. You have arrived already. Put your bags down and rest a while. Yeah, and it, it sounds like when you're saying like, wow, I'm really glad I had that nap. Like it sounded like you in a, had a lot of energy. So I felt like that was kind of like the state that I had to get into. And I think what I was doing is like I was making that an expectation for myself was to be like really enthusiastic and like a lot of energy. All right. So begin to watch. Let's go back to that whole story about the uh, uh, the bouncer. OK, 
the bouncer there, his job is to catch those, <coughs> to catch those uh, things that, um, you know, you're already working with boredom. So how can you enjoy that? If it's in there, how can the, the, the bouncer have a toy out of that boredom? And if the bouncer and the boredom go to sleep, then that's okay too. That what we're really trying to push out is your negativity, your unwholesome ways of doing things, like having standards that you set that you can't keep. If it's any consolation, um, so one of the things I've been trying to do because I've been um, traveling a bit on the weekends, and this is one of the reasons I haven't been on the call, um, is meditate while I'm on the train. So I can meditate, quote unquote, meditate, you know, for that, you know, <laughs> right? Uh, the balanced effort. Well, you can yeah. enjoy the ride. That that would exactly. be. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I'm trying to do that, like, while I'm, you know, paying attention. So even if it's just staring out the window, I might just, oof, right? And I'm just like enjoying it. And then I might be able to do that for 15, 20 minutes. But because I've been traveling so much, I might just be tired. And so I just fall asleep on the train. <laughs> but that doesn't mean I'm thinking, oh, this is pointless. I'm just thinking, okay, next time on the train, I'm just going to try again. Because like that's that's what it's going to be. Okay, I can I can sit down and make myself feel good when I'm walking. I can, sorry, when I'm sitting down, I can make myself feel good when I'm walking. But now I need to learn how to do it when I'm on the train because I'm on the train a little bit. So mm -hmm. like I need to just like, that's a new thing I can to get to learn rather than, oh no, I, I can't meditate anymore. It's like, no, okay, this is a new thing. And I can, I can, I can learn this. It's like, oh, I'm cycling a lot because I live in Cambridge and that's a very cycle friendly city. Can I apply the same, uh, you know, that wonder with yeah, the senses exactly. that I do when I'm walking. One pedal at a time. One, one pedal, pedal at a time. And just pedal, 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 <laughs> pedal, 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 pedal. And feel like, oh, when this person overtakes me, my legs get tense and I want to catch up. Why is that? <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. Right? And it's just like noticing the little things. It's like, oh, I can actually hear if I pay attention to someone taking over me. And the cycle is very, it's a subtle sound of the, the gears and the, the chain turning. Right? But if you're actually paying attention... Like you, you can, can actually hear, hear that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so this is just to say that, look, I was I was on the train recently and I fell asleep while I was trying to you know, pay attention and be alert. And that's OK, because what's going to happen next time? I'm going to try the same thing again and maybe I'll do it better. Maybe I won't, but it doesn't matter. Well, the Marcus, important thing is, so. is that you allowed yourself to relax. OK, yeah, worth let's, it. let's learn <laughs> relaxation relax. first. That relaxation is what is a is a key ingredient into wakefulness. So if you say, oh, well, when I relax, I fall asleep and that's bad. <laughs> no, because I'm supposed to have the goal of wakefulness. You, you, we have to go through that intermediate stage. OK, if you are actually practicing to relax and you go to sleep with that. Great. That just meant that you were also tired. <sighs> And then sometimes I'll wake up and I'll be like, okay, cool. I, I took a nap, but I'm back. Let me try again. And that's it. Yeah. Like, it's, it's right. just, just. So it's Hello. really easy. Yes. Um, Sama Sankapa, uh, right, right attitudes. Um, with falling asleep, 
um, it might be a good idea to remember the imagery of uh, or the situation of like a young child who gets sent to bed, right? It's almost like a punishment. You gotta go to bed. All the adults are still up. The child wants to be an adult and have lots of responsibility and stay up with the adults. And it feels and, like punishment. And you have to, to go to bed. And yeah, be part yeah, of the group yeah. And, so they and, feel like a loser. Not miss anything, all of that kind of stuff. And so a lot of little kids yeah. that way learn that they don't like to sleep. They don't want to sleep. They want to stay up so they can see what everybody else is doing. Mm. We can I flip that around. Go ahead. Sure, instead of feeling like a loser of having a nap, just understand that, yeah, that's natural. That's what your body wanted. It's getting that, again, homeostasis. Uh-huh. Right. Let yourself be, have a nap when you're tired. That's great. And you can feel good about it. And when you wake up, you can still feel good about it and then go straight back into feeling good again. Uh-huh. Precisely. One yeah. wholesome thought after another with maybe a map in between. <laughs> Robert, where's your smile? You're really having a grumpy moment. <laughs> you can do this. You, it's okay that you take a nap even when you're practicing mindfulness because that just shows that you're relaxed. That's okay. If you get the rest you need, then you'll wake up and then you'll be fresh and start again. But you among many others, but you have a really heavy duty set of rules that you have picked up. Mm -hmm. Intricately woven and designed for you with a handle just so that you can use that and bang yourself with it. <sighs> um. Okay, and so you've got all kinds of ways of banging yourself. Wakey, wakey, start looking at that. Start well, looking at all these rules that you have that you can't keep. Somebody said something. Yeah, I want to add on the, on the relaxing for Robert. Well, I seen like I used to do long meditations and I would fall asleep. And eventually I just realized it's being successful at relaxing. I actually met my goal because I fell asleep. That means I got myself really relaxed. So you just noticed that kind of relaxation and you and you see it as in your practice you can you can start distinguishing between relaxed state and not so relaxed state because if you manage to fall asleep that wasn't relaxed. <clears throat> if you're sitting in meditation and you're getting like really irritated then you're obviously not relaxed so you can use that almost as a training method that's what i do if that thank helps. you yeah that's really helpful oh yeah see the difference well, so, um, for example, um, I was I will say one thing. Um, uh, there's this guy on um, YouTube, this guy called Delson Armstrong, um, mm. and he's a student of Bhante Vimal Ramses. And uh, you might you might uh, enjoy this. He has a, a, a thing called the six R's method. Um, and it's like a nice way of remembering like what you uh, I, I find it quite useful, which is if you're met, quote unquote meditating, so they meditate on metta, uh, a good uh, feeling of goodwill and friendliness. Um, but you know, you can choose whatever your object is. 
And whenever you get distracted or you know you get a bit drowsy, um, they say the first R is recognize it, right? It just it's like, oh, cool. Like I, I've been distracted. The second R is release it. It's like I'm not going to do that anymore. Cool. The third R is relax the body. And they go, you know, whatever it is you need to do to relax the body. The fourth R the is we smile. Yeah, any tension in the head or anything. Well, I mean, sometimes for me, it's like tension in my left shoulder. Um, I, I learned in the last retreat that I was just like get, holding tension in my left shoulder. I was just like doing this the whole time. Why? I don't know. And I was like, oh, I can just not do that. <laughs> Resmile. Um, You've been and then around the last R, the fifth R after. is. What was that? I say you've been too long around the left-handed Zen master. <laughs> um, but and then the fifth R is return. The fifth return. R is return to the object. But I like to think of it as reinvestigate, as in like, hmm. okay, what was I doing? I was investigating. So the, I like to reinvestigate. But, you know, they just say return to the object. Um, mm -hmm. And then the sixth R is just repeat as necessary. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that the, the one which is relaxed, the third one, Genuinely, most people don't know how to do relaxing. You just don't. The release and the relax is actually like the thing that most people struggle with so much. They just, they I mean, only relax when they're forced to relax because the rest of the body is And is taking a nap. How relaxed is that? <laughs> Some people, Except when they sit down to meditate, they're just like. Because relaxed. <laughs> So that thing of just being able to relax, like it's a good thing, as Tamarat was saying, you know, just get familiar with it, get cozy with it. It's like, oh, what does this relaxation feel like? You know, this is this relax different from the relax earlier today? Is this relaxation feel different from the one a couple of minutes ago? You know, because you'll you'll notice that each relax feeling comes differently. Sometimes your body's energized, but your mind's relaxed. Sometimes your mind's um, energized, but your body's relaxed. So there will be different flavors of it, and you can get to know that instead. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and That's then, right. as you really get familiar with it, you'll be able to do it at the drop of a hat. Somebody says relax, and you're like, done. <laughs> it's like a shootout. <laughs> um, what was the, what was the first R? Recognize. That's Recognize. it. Recognize. Release. Relax. Okay, well, Re let us Re put a zero in there. Re yeah, if he's got six, I want to add a zero. Yeah. Remember. <laughs> remember to look. Remember to recognize. Remember. Yeah. And that'll start the whole process. But yes, relax. And if you relax and take a nap, that's okay. That's yeah. in fact that just showed that you were already tired, but you were following some rule about shalt not sleep when in fact it was a really good thing to do. <laughs> I really, really, uh, I really, really love like uh, Bante Vimala Ramsey's uh, approach. His whole this this whole uh, way of dealing with all this magical stuff also it's very good marketing and uh, I really really love uh, the way those steps are conducted because uh, I could find tensions in me uh, with this 
I never really recognized before, even if I remembered. But, or let's say at the, at the same time, someone else, Ajahn Brahmavamso, if this is familiar to one of, of you, like Ajahn Brahm, uh, yes. he is really, he is really the master of getting Westerners to relax. And he emphasizes so much on, if you're here on retreat, take your time, take your time, sleep the first days, do whatever you like, get your, get your spirits uh, um, uh, where they need to go. Uh, no pressure. I mean, this is Thanks really... for telling me that. I didn't know that that was his style. <sighs> It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's really. I think like... that's pretty true. Yeah. Um, he also wow. made that funny certificate for Westerners saying, "I give <laughs> you permission to be happy." Signed, Ajahn Bram. You know, it's like a certificate <laughs> of happiness. Have you seen that one before, Robert? I think it was posted yeah. on um, on one of the group chats at one point. I have seen uh, that. It's yes. very, very, think... very nice. Yeah, that's brilliant. Uh, uh... Well, guys, we've been. Uh, I have a question for Tamarato. Okay, go for it. We'll do one more. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm curious about this difference of emphasis. So you mentioned <laughs> that the breath is the thing to settle around and because um, it's so marvelous. And uh, Pante Vimalaramsi talks about goodwill towards a spiritual friend. And he says that's the way to get yourself uh, feeling good and, you know, uh, right view, right um, effort, and, oof, what was that shit? Right sati, circle around each other to produce right attitude and right concentration. So, um, yeah, I'm just curious about, like, what you think of the Brahma Viharas, like, uh, metta, goodwill, or um, joy, obviously, you're big on joy, <laughs> um, compassion, and uh, equanimity. Okay. Uh, one person can sit and follow the instructions that they were given from Vila Maramsi on uh, Metta, and another person sit and follow the directions that they were, had gotten from Vila Maramsi, and both of them will have two different experiences. Okay. What I'm really getting at is, is that it is quite possible and it happened and I saw it the way that Metta is taught in a ritualized kind of way that has statements like may all beings be happy, may all beings be free from suffering. That is not generally the Sama Sankapa or the attitude of the guy who's sitting there saying that. In other words, he's telling himself a lie. He knows he's lying, that there's no metta anywhere in sight. There is only the verbiage. May all beings be happy. It's also possible that one can be practicing Anapanasati in the gladdening of the mind and be doing metta. And it's also possible that while he's gladdening the mind, he starts doing metta and then it gets screwed up. And here's what I mean by that is, is that so long as the thoughts are wholesome, 
this is what we're shooting for, but we also have some, let us say, some guidelines or boundaries that the Buddha has set about past and future. And almost always the metta that we're practicing has to do with other people out there, sometime else, not here, not now. If we can find a way of practicing method that has to do with the joy that we have right here, right now, then we are practicing metta. There's another point about that, and that is, is that the metta that we need to practice is in the world of our experience, not the world of our concepts. Okay, that we normally when people hear the word, may all beings be happy, that all beings business is a concept. We conceptualize a thing, all beings, and we may in fact have a parade of faces passing by. Okay, the reality is, is that that world is the conceptualized world. And the world of Anapanasati is the world of our immediate surroundings, our immediate uh, senses. And so when I say, may all beings be happy, I'm talking about the tick on the table. I'm talking about the ant falling <laughs> off the arm. I'm talking about the mosquitoes that won't dare come close to me because I've got a mosquito coil in. <laughs> and that's just the little critters. We've got some big ones. We've got a new puppy in the house. <laughs> okay. And so when I, when I say may all beings be happy in that regard, I've got something real. But when most people are saying may all beings be happy, all they've got is a concept. Okay, so this is what I have to say about metta meditation is, is that gladdening the mind is metta and metta is gladdening the mind. They are the same thing. They are not two different practices, but it takes some discernment to figure that out because in the beginning they look like two different things. Or in fact, they're not. They're the same thing. So if I can wish for metta, Wow, I wish everybody in this house felt as good as I do right now. Wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> you can hear my wife laughing right now. In fact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so this is the meta is the meta is, is that everything is already OK. Everything is fine. I don't have to wish them well. I can see them well. And if they're not well and I wish them well, it's probably because I did something stupid in the, and, and it was me that is the reason why they're, they're not well. And so uh, understanding it from that position that the meta is how we feel towards our environment or our outside as opposed to some concept of a world out there someplace. So your world is really close. It touches you. It's the wind that's on your arm. It's the air that you breathe. It's the critters that crawl on your feet. It's the sand that is in between your toes. This is our world. And we want to have meta towards our world, our environment, our immediate. Does it make sense? Go ahead. Does it make sense to wish meta on like a 
inanimate object. Like if I'm running and I'm like wishing the people I see, you know, I'm saying, like, oh, like I can see that you're happy and I'm glad because of this. And mm-hmm. then I see a leaf falling and then I still feel the same way about the leaf, which is weird. <laughs> well, falling leaves are wonderful. They are. They don't, I'm just like, they oh, don't just you know, fall like, there's a, a, thing like a brick. <laughs> they don't fall like a brick at all. These leaves are really <laughs> smart like, about how to catch some toes in the wind and dance their way down. And so that the, the, the actual thought or the wonderment of actually seeing what they're doing, the leaves. That's the appreciation of the leaf. That's meta itself, and it doesn't have to have a thought. It's just watching the leaf fall is a kind of meta. It doesn't have to be vocalized. Okay, so that's the issue is getting a very, very clear definition of meta is very, very valuable. And so I am very happy that Vila Malamsi is out there beating that word with a stick. <laughs> oh yeah. How, how simple can it be, though? How simple can it be with with Sama Sankapa? It's it's you know, is is this for for a good thing? Is this gonna you know benefit um, oh, in the most efficient way possible, or is it not? Yes, that's true, and that takes wisdom. But normally, what happens in a meditation retreat or class? They hear the words of the teacher. And then they go repeat those words using mental concepts rather than actually experience of getting right now meta, getting right now in love with your environment. I love I love how it all comes back together. Yeah. Uh-huh. So the whole the whole topic, it feels like it's all just well, it is all one thing. But, yeah, it's uh, just all one yeah, thing. All just one and, thing. And, so little, right. little thing. That's the Dhamma. Uh-huh. And so Vila Maramsi, he's got this angle on it, but it's just his angle. Okay, that's the whole point is, is that we're both pointing to the same thing exactly. Also, also with this, I was meaning also um, the pointing and the little bit of dirt underneath the fingernail that is um, one, I think in one sutta, it's used to represent the amount of suffering left for noble uh you know people who are heading in the noble direction but also that's also the size the package the size of the package of the buddha dharma yeah okay well uh (laughs) drew i think that we've given a fairly good answer to your question about metta are you satisfied with this I'm practicing satisfaction day in, day out. <laughs> breath in, breath out. <laughs> All right. Okay, well, let's end this, one day guys. at a time. Yes, let's, yeah, yeah one, one, one moment at a time. Beginner's yeah. mind. Take the world thank as you, if thank you. brand new, because it is. It keeps changing. It's our concepts that don't change. We think we know what really is, where in fact, no, it needs to be reinvestigated. It moved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much. This has been really a happy day. Thank you very much, everyone. Um, it's lovely to see you all. Yes. Thank you. Like, likewise, everybody. Yeah. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. Okay. Goodbye, everybody.
Marcus, did your friend make it okay? Oh, he's gone now. Sue, 